It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome back to Barangaroo Studios. It's just gone midday, which means it is time for the call. 10 stocks picked by you. Two experts and one hour. We are going to go through them all in fine detail. It's Wednesday, the 23rd of December. I'm Andrew Page. And yes, we have got only a little more than four days to go, four trading sessions, that is, until the end of 2020. Let's introduce our experts today. We've got two very smart cookies on the program, both joining me live via Skype. Uh, I'll start with uh, Henry Jennings in an excellent hat, let it be said, from Marcus Today. (laughs) Henry, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Very good. A bit more festive after seeing your your smiling face in that excellent uh, attire. And we've got Andrew Weiland from DP Wealth Advisory as well. Andrew, always good to see you. How how are things? Morning, gents, or afternoon as it would be in your case. And that is a cracking hat, Henry. I just, I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing. So, (laughs) bravo. Thanks, guys. We'll have to step up our game uh, next time, Andrew. Let's uh, let's get straight into it, gents. And uh, before we get to our 10 viewer selected stocks let's start with our stock of the day i thought we'd go with air new zealand it was out with an update today not a great one but perhaps not a surprise to anyone they did report november passenger traffic which was down 51 percent against 2019 just shy of 700,000 passengers carried last month domestic passengers down about 28 percent and trans tasman and pacific passengers were Basically, let's call it negligible, 13,000. That's a 96% decline. Andrew, I'll start with you. Any great surprises here? Oh, not at all. Um, I mean, what do you expect in a one in a hundred year health emergency? Yeah. Uh, so, so certainly from that point of view, there's, there's no issues. I, I mean, if you look at this class of stock and, you know, we could lump in there Qantas and we can put in Webjet and corporate travel and flight centre, these are all just trading companies. Um, I was mentioning on a, a forum the other day that reminds me of the days of MIM, showing my age, where you could buy MIM at 80 odd cents and you wait 18 months and you sell it at $1.60. And that's really what we're seeing with these travel stocks, but it's almost sort of daily or weekly with the news around vaccines or clusters, sorry, Henry. Um, so, yeah, certainly. I, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a buyer from a long term perspective. I'd be a buyer if I thought the trend was in my favour and there was a quick 10 or 15 percent scalp on it. Um, but ultimately, the name of the game for Air New Zealand, as it is for all these tra- travel and tourism companies, is uh, how quickly the vaccine gets rolled out and at what stage do we achieve that herd immunity or 70 percent of us either you know being immune to it or having uh, that. Uh, vaccine shot which you know in australia is probably going to be as late as september next year andrew is there any risk just to follow up on that that you know you 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 go to play that sort of range game and then we 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 get hit with sort of something out of left field uh you know which which sends stuff down you know twice as far again or perhaps we get some really great news and then things can continue on is is that 
a risk, particularly with how fast things are moving? Yeah, look, 100%, Andrew. And, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's just the name of the game when you're playing these type of companies. But, I mean, let's pretend it wasn't a pandemic, which I know is a very easy thing to say. I just don't like airlines in general, um, unless I could buy Qantas, you know, $1 or $2, and then I don't mind that. But uh, it's the type of business where if you've only got half the plane full, does that mean you only put in half the fuel and put in only half the staff required to... Uh, you know, the, the loading of the plane, only one pilot. I mean, it's a very high fixed cost business. Yeah. So airlines in general, I don't like, but I think in this type of environment, there's at least an opportunity to be trading, but with those risks that you just identified. Yeah, some pretty good points there from Andrew. Henry, you got anything you'd add? I'm, I'm just trying to rack my memory for the days of MIM at the moment. That was, um, those were happy days. And I know Andrew was talking about when you could buy them at 80 cents and sell them at $1.60. used to just, people used to sit on the bid at 80 cents and sell them at 81 cents all day. Hmm. Um, it was, um, it was, they never moved and then they would move by, you know, 10 cents and everyone would buy them at 90 and sell them at 91. Um, as far as Air New Zealand goes though, I mean, it's not one that we tend to focus on really very much here. I guess Qantas is our big uh, airline play. And as Andrew says, there are many kind of complicated moving parts with airlines so it makes it a little bit trickier and travel stocks at the moment are the sentiment play and of course we've seen in the last few days and especially uh, I can bear witness to that how things can change quite quickly and we've seen also that borders change quite quickly and border restrictions are brought in very quickly uh, here at the drop of a hat so although Qantas and Air New Zealand to some extent are relying on that domestic travel market because let's face it international travel is a thing of uh, 2019 and hopefully 2021 but it won't be for a little while um, we've seen that that those border restrictions coming quickly so it's a confidence game are you going to be out there booking your tickets uh, if you could be locked into queensland say for two weeks um, i know that's there's fate worse than that but um you know it's it's certainly a possibility so for me at the moment it is very much a sentiment trade, as all these travel stocks are. Yesterday, uh, we actually took the view that uh, we would, we were very overweight travel stocks in our growth portfolio and had done really well out of them, especially out of the webjets and the flight centres, but uh, have trimmed those positions considerably uh, in the last day or so, taking us out of those stocks just for the time being. We can go back in uh, at any time, but uh, just for the time being, we just thought there are risks that this um, this outbreak continues in Australia, and of course, then that would put any any kind of bubble with Air New Zealand and New Zealand itself in jeopardy, and as a result, would uh, probably be not optimal for either of them. So, um, for me, airline stocks just hard work, travel at the moment. I think there's there's easier ways, but they are very sentiment driven. You can see that today. You know, eight cases in New South Wales, and you've got you know the likes of uh, Webjet and Flight Centre doing very well. But um, I think. You know, for me at the moment, it's just a little bit of caution in all of these stocks until we see how this is all going to play out with vaccines, etc. Yeah, I think you guys are right. You, need, you do need a bit of an iron constitution to play in that space at the moment, particularly with how fast things are moving. Right, let's get stuck into the 10 viewer selected stocks. And we're going to kick things off with uh, one from Rob who asks us about Pilbara Minerals, PLS is the code. Henry, these guys are up 4x since the March low. So they've certainly had a very strong bounce, but really only getting back to where they were at the start of 2019. Have investors missed the boat or is there more upside to be had? Well, 
it, it has been a very strong bounce, but as you say, they're only getting back up to where they were before the fall. The, the problem for these guys has been, uh, they, it's been very much tied to the lithium price. Now, they've taken a big bet, and there's a lot of money now riding on the resurrection of the lithium story, the electric vehicle story. They've just raised money. They're buying Altura, uh, which is a big lithium project uh, out of administration. And it's a big swing of the bat, as have a number of other people swung that bat. A IGO has swung the bat, as well as West Farmers, which you remember bought uh, Kidman Resources. Uh, I think it was in uh, 2019, probably now. But what is good for these guys is that the lithium price is now starting to play a little bit of catch up. It, um, it's still got a long way to go, but it is starting to see a little bit of a movement higher. So that is good because up till now, the stock prices have moved really considerably, but the lithium price has stayed where it is. And this is all, I guess, coming out of the greening of uh, the global economy, the push from Europe, especially, I guess, they're the forerunners of this with electric vehicles, battery technology, demand for electric vehicles, demand for lithium. So I, I think this one could have more to go, but we do need to see that lithium price start to catch up with the share prices, which have run really hard in advance. So maybe we need a period of consolidation. Sometimes also when you're doing a big takeover like the Altura it, and a big capital raising, it just takes a little while for that to work through the system, in which case we could tend to go sideways for a little while, see that lithium price catch up. But it's certainly uh, it's certainly one on my radar at the moment, that's for sure. But it's it's run really, really hard, really fast. And uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of a pullback. But who knows? If, if that doesn't happen, maybe they could go again. So for me, it's a hold at the moment and just wait to see how things pan out with that lithium price because maybe we got a bit ahead of ourselves. And, and also, you know, it's always a question of supply and demand. And we saw a couple of years ago, the lithium story was hot as, and then of course we had extra supply coming on from South America and SQM in particular, and that just killed it completely. And it just died and was in the doldrums for a long time. So. Um, hopefully this time we'll get that uh, global green recovery taking place. Some excellent points there from Henry. Andrew, what do you think? Look, I agree. I think it's a hold as well. Um, it's actually the number one holding in my favorite, one of my favorite ETFs. And if you want to hear about my other favorite ETFs, watch the pulse at one o'clock. Uh, how is that for a cross sell? I, I um, love it. I'll be, I'll be talking to you about it. So we'll dive right into those. Excellent. Uh, no, it's ACDC is uh, is one of my favourite uh, ETFs. I just want the job, frankly, boys, whereby I come up with the ETF names because some of these are absolute crackers. But uh, ACDC is uh, the one that uh, oh no, had any more Henry. Uh, I uh, I really do like the uh, ACDC, and it is in fact the number one holding in there. Uh, it's also got things like Galaxy, it's got Tesla, it's got Nissan, it's got Renault. So it certainly plays to all those points that. Henry was making, in particular, our European friends, because they're very big. And you know, we've spoken uh, previously with Koshi around ESG investing, mm. and uh, the Europeans are really leading that. But the Americans and the Japanese are certainly playing catch up in that regard. So Pilbara really sort of ticks those boxes. But the key thing that Henry quite rightly points out is they've just completed a capital, capital raising or in the middle of one for the retail investors at 37 cents. So, you know, where's the share price at the moment? 84 cents. It's not unreasonable to suspect that some people are just going to try and load their boots up on this on the retail offer at 37 cents and then try and flick a quick profit post the 18th of January when these shares are allocated. So 
like the story, plenty of things we need to be mindful of, as you know, we spoke about the weakness um, in that lithium price, but from a big broader perspective, Biden coming in and signing the US back up to the Paris Agreement, um, the thematic around electric vehicles, etc. really like it, but Andrew the Boring would prefer to be diversified and use ACDC as the vehicle in which to, uh, to play it rather than picking Pilbara. Well, as I think we all know to some extent, boring is not necessarily bad when it comes to investing. Boring, in fact, can be really beautiful. So there you go, Rob. Uh, some insights from the two experts there on Pilbara. Maybe not the best time right now. Let's stay in the material space. And we've had Victor write in about Jupiter Mines. JMS is the code. Andrew, I'm going to stay with you here. I believe this is manganese. It is. Uh, and they own 49% of a mine in South Africa, whose name I'm going to butcher to shippy i hope i was i was hoping um, you would try have a go at it because i didn't know how to how to handle it how'd i go henry it went well well there you go well, oh, well. there you go uh really interesting business um making lots of money uh, about 120 million dollars a year they own 49 percent of that mine and they've also got some iron ore interests where they're actually looking at uh demerging in 2021 uh one of the things as you know one of my measures is uh is management and I know that uh, the, the chairman is actually Brian Gilbertson, who was the first uh, CEO of that merged BHP Billiton Group. Uh, he actually owns about $6 million of the company. So interesting business. I mean, my concern with it would be more around the political risk in dealing with, um, you know, the African continent. I'd say exactly the same thing if I was dealing in other offshore jurisdictions as well. You know, there's different laws. Uh, different political pressures in play. So certainly just another thing you need to be thinking about when you're investing. But in the context of just generating cash, it's generating a heap of cash, the attributable cash within Jupiter Mines, uh, sorry, within that business for Jupiter Mines is about $89 million. So I, I don't mind it. I'd like to maybe see what's going on with that iron ore demerger, but um, it's it's at least a hold for me. I'm not, I'm not a buy, but there's enough there to make it interesting and one to watch. All right, uh, couldn't get that one over the line. What about you, Henry? Is there anything to like here? Um, I've held this one uh, for many a long moon, actually, probably a couple of years uh, in uh, my small cap portfolio. And it has been a kind of a dull place to hide in some respects. And it, it makes a lot of money. It's, as Andrew says, it's a manganese project in South Africa. Makes a lot of money and it pays all that money out. Uh, so I think over the last two or three years, it has paid out about 12 cents in dividends, hmm. which is almost like capital return because they tend to run up as the uh, dividend gets uh, closer. They pay the dividend and their stock just does nothing for a, a long time, having lost the price of that dividend. So it is a bit of a dull and boring story. It is very much hitched to the manganese uh, price. Uh, the great attraction, I guess, for this one, or which I guess has uh, sort of pushed it up a little bit in the last few days, is this iron ore demerger. They've got a bunch of Australian iron ore assets, which they are going to demerge uh, in the early part of 2021. They've already set up the management structure. And that, I guess, has given the, the market something to get excited about. Other than that, it is a dull, high-yielding cash cow. And as Andrew rightly says, the management is interesting uh, with Brian Gilbertson involved there. But there does seem to be, and there's good buying from management as well, and the CEO just bought another 2 million shares. The problem, I think, is there's, there's a few egos at play on the board and in the management, and there does seem to be a lot of um, 
it seems to be a bit more angst than I would like. Uh, uh, and it's a bit, I guess it's a bit like AWC in some respects, in that it's, uh, it's an overseas project that they have a big share of and it just pays cash. There's not much actual management for these guys to do uh, day to day. And certainly they've got no kind of, um, they've got no ambitions to, uh, to do anything apart from the manganese mine. So dull, good yield, but it's a bit like a capital return at times. Uh, and the kicker is the iron ore. It's still a hold for me because it's a good place to have cash and hide a little bit. That's that's uh, why I bought it because of the yield and uh, the manganese and the iron ore exposure, but not that exciting. Well, there you go, Victor, a 6% yield if I've done my sums correctly, which doesn't seem too bad in this environment. But as the guy said, not the most exciting thing out there. Speaking of exciting or potentially exciting, uh, Sean wants to know about Nearmap. Now, this is a company that's got a really interesting history and has moved all over the place. It tends to divide people, in my experience. Henry, I'm going to stay with you. What should Sean do when it comes to Nearmap? Um, this could divide Andrew and I. I think this could be the end of a, a beautiful relationship. Nearmap <laughs> um, near, near, near uh, has been a market favorite it's been a market darling it went from from nothing to you know three dollars twenty or something it has since come off they they are big in the u.s they are pushing into the u.s they do uh spatial uh photography and uh, councils and various other people use them to it's basically like google maps on steroids right. I, I guess um you can you can see the satellite uh, images from near map it's great technology it's a great company Unfortunately, I do seem to have lost one or two of the biggest, bigger clients in the US, and they do seem to be experiencing a little bit of a churn, and they have disappointed the market. Now, for a tech company, disappointment is, is a bit of a killer, and it takes a long while to get that confidence back of investors. And you can see if you put the chart up, uh, again, how the, the, really the company has been on a bit of a slide ever since that disappointment and going nowhere. Um, I think that's going to continue, to be honest. And I think if you're looking at technology stocks, then I suspect there's probably better gearing and better leverage elsewhere. And this kind of sideways to downwards drift will continue. So for me, it's not one that I'm that interested in at the moment. It used to be bunched in with all the tech stocks when the market rallied on NASDAQ. Everyone would buy Nearmap. Um, but uh, those days, I think, have gone and it will take some time to get back confidence in the market. Fair enough. Uh, so, Andrew, Henry, Henry seemed to hint there that you might like this one. Is that the case? Um, Henry, we have such a beautiful friendship. It's going to take more than just sort of, you know, a near map uh, disagreement to, to change well, that. But, but you know what? I agree with you entirely. Um, oh. uh, ooh, ooh. Uh, look, no, near map uh, and been similar to you, been following it since about 30, 40 cents and it's been a great ride. But uh, the wheels have just started to come off there a little bit for a couple of the reasons that you alluded to. Share reducing their holding by 13% over the last 12 months is a bit of an amber light for me. Uh, look, it's trading well under consensus of $3.10 and it's up 41% per annum for the last five years. So, you know, if you've been a long-term holder, it certainly hasn't been dreadful at all. But you can, know, I, can I just jump in at that point to do a quick victory lap? I bought some at 36 cents in 2016. So there, there you go for a long-term shareholder. Back to you, though. Back to you. Bravo. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had to put it in. Uh, yeah, sorry, Henry. I said nobody likes a smart ass. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of other losses. I just don't talk about them, Henry. 
Uh, yes, anyway, it's a family-friendly show, so we'll move on. They've, yes, they've recently uh, completed a capital raise at $2.77. So again, that's also going to weigh on their share price as well. Look, return on equity is terrible. Margin is terrible. I could think of plenty of other tech names that I'd prefer to be buying. I mean, Altium is certainly one of our favourites. Zero is one of our favourites. I think we covered zero last week, Andrew. So, uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm certainly I'm not a seller, but I'm I'm a tenuous hold on on Nearmap at the moment. I think you could put your tech money to better use elsewhere. Yeah, I I, I knew going into this one that uh, I was going to get at least at least one bearish comment. So not not disappointed there, um, and and I will reserve uh, the other side of the argument because my job is to moderate, it is not to provide opinion. So there you go, Sean, two thumbs down in terms of near map. Let's go now to something completely different. Australian agriculture company, Andrew, let's stay with you here. AAC is the code. Is this something that floats your boat? It doesn't. And yet, you know, in a place like Toowoomba, which is sort of rural and, and regional Australia, I should be all over it like a fat kid on a cupcake. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I mean, if you look at from a, a value investor's point of view, you're trading under NTA. NTA is $1.54. And where's the share price? $1.10. So you'd have to be going, look, I'd be this is just great buying. But there's been so many issues with this business. I mean, if you just look at it from, there's lots of things they can't control. I mean, if you look at their results that just came out in November, you had the impact of drought, you've had the impact of flooding. Uh, then of course you overlay that with around $34 million of their revenue was coming from China. That was about 15% of all sales. Uh, and around two thirds of the productions from, of their plants are temporarily suspended by China. Um, yeah, look, I just, I, I can't do it, I'm sorry. I, I can see lots of reasons why you would be doing it, but you know, what's the impetus? What's gonna turn it around? And this has been the case for this company from the get-go. It's, uh, it's been pretty disappointing and I can't see what the trigger or what the re-rating is going to be. Certainly you're going to need to get the China situation sorted out and by all accounts, that's gonna take a while to do. So yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm out and probably, sorry, the other thing I'm just a wee bit weary of is that they've got 14 million in the bank, which is a lot of money, but they burnt through 4 million of that in the first half. So if they keep that run rate going, then you're potentially also staring down the barrel of a cap raising probably around this time next year. Well, there you go, Henry. Andrew doesn't have much positives to talk about there. Can, can, you, can you add anything that might tip us over the line here? Not really, I'm afraid, guys. I've got to say, it's, um, it, it's been another one of these stocks that's a perennial disappointment between QBE and, and AAC. You would, you would kind of hope you know, when we're selling lots of beef up to China, that it would have really gone well and, and done very well, especially with Wagyu up into Japan, etc. all that kind of stuff. It really has failed to fire. It's got some big uh, majority shareholders in it as well. Uh, there's a billionaire in, in that one. So I guess there's a hope that at some stage it will get uh, privatized, put out of its misery to some extent. But even when you read the last uh, update the company put out, and they talked about agile approach and commercial pivot. Now, we've seen the agile approach from this one more times than Nadia Comaneci. And uh, the commercial pivot, we've seen this before with this one as well. So for me, it's underwhelming. And given the issues that we have with China at the moment in terms of trade, in terms of our beef up to China, 
I think there are better ways to play the agricultural story than Australian ag. But as I say, that there is a chance that it will be privatised uh, because it has just been, frankly, a, a, just a bit of a cow um, of a stock. So, um, I, I, so it, I wouldn't be selling it here because there is that risk that it could be privatised. But I wouldn't. There's better places to put your money. If if you're coming to this as a as a new shareholder, um, I would uh, go elsewhere. If you're an existing shareholder, it's a hold. But again, there's probably better ways to use your money than this one, given the backdrop of uh, Chinese and Australian relationships at the moment. Yeah, not only that, but uh, as mentioned, the historical uh, experience, really bad. I can just see here, per share earnings have been lumpy as all, all get out and um, just just a yep. very choppy ride. And shares on issues have all, almost doubled over the last decade or so. So that is two thumbs down. Let's stay in that space, though, uh, and a very difficult space it is, not just for AAC, but just anyone who plays in agriculture. Let's talk a bit now, if we can, about uh, elders. Jacob wants to know, Henry, is it something that uh, ticks any boxes? Um, yeah, I think it ticks a lot of boxes. It's got a diversified exposure to the rural and regional um, Australian agricultural sector. It ran really, really hard from six bucks, got up, it doubled basically this year despite um, despite COVID. So um, there has been a bit of a slide. We did see a double top uh, recently back in uh, sort of uh, October and November, and it has been on a slide ever since. I would expect it to start to find a little bit of support. Maybe, uh, maybe it's got a bit more to go on the slide down to around nine bucks potentially, but it should start to get a bit of support. We've had rain. Uh, COVID hasn't had the big effect on regions, I guess, as, uh, as, as the cities because of the distancing of, of that. And farmers have been generally in a pretty good uh, mood, certainly when I listen to them on the radio and you go out to regional Australia, there seems to be quite a bit of money around. So um, I don't think there's underlying issues, apart from maybe the uh, the relationship with China again, which is uh, having a bit of a negative impact on agricultural stocks. But I think this one just probably ran too hard, too fast, needed to come back, needed to come off the boil and just go back to a simmer. And, and I'd say with another sort of 5 to 10% downside, that would be a good place to be buying it. So. Uh, on that basis, it's it's probably a hold, but uh, I, you know I'm not sure I'd be selling it for that five to ten percent. Uh, and at nine bucks, I'd be a pretty happy buyer of this one. Yeah, it's not only been a good year, but as we saw on the longer term chart, a pretty decent longer term performer. In fact, maybe my comments were a little too preemptive. Having a look at it, lumpy, yes, as you probably expect, but earnings seem to be doing pretty well. Andrew, return mm. on equity actually fairly outstanding. Is it something that you think is worth buying at this point? Yeah, I agree, I agree with Henry. Surprisingly, uh, that's not a buy at the moment. But you look at consensus, consensus is $13.50. You're spot on, Andrew, ROE of over 20%. Um, arguably a defensive business. I look at, I mean, a number of our clients here are involved in agriculture and they've had a great year. Um, so not trying to sort of minimise what's going on for the rest of the country, but certainly the ag space um, We've had some decent rain, certainly here in southern Queensland, the last few days. So uh, I quite like the business. Um, I mean, if we go back five or six years ago, it was a bit of a basket case, and they really turned it around. Mm. I mean, it's obviously hostage to weather and climate change and all that sort of stuff. But uh, shares are up 57% for the year and 20% per annum for the last five years relative to the market, which is down 1% this year 
and it's up 9% for the last five years. So it's doubled what the market has done. Phenomenal. Defensive posture. I agree with Henry, $9, you'd absolutely be buying it. It's a great business. Do you, is there something to be said if you are a long-term shareholder? Okay, yes, it's done really well over the last five years, but as we've just seen, I mean, it's been a very, very bumpy ride. Is it just something you have to expect? If I'm going to buy this, perhaps to your guys' advice, we wait a little bit to get a better price, but you don't buy in and then freak out if it drops 10% because it's, it's, it's virtually guaranteed, right? Well, if, <laughs> if your business is, you're hostage to commodity prices, you're hostage to the weather, of which you can't control either. It's just the name of the game, you know? Um, I mean, if we try and compare it to, I don't know, like what's the antithesis, like a CSL or an Altium or something like that, where there is some scale and size and they can use their um, market position to maybe try and control the, the, the margin and the cash flow a little bit, well, sure. But that's not the type of business you're buying. But I mean, you look at the UK at the moment. I mean, you get look at all the supermarkets that have been stripped bare because of concern over uh, Brexit and concern over what's going on with this new virus and so forth. Like food is critical. And I think in your portfolio, you do want some sort of agri or food exposure. We've just basically said you don't want um, AAC, but do you want uh, elders? And I could certainly think of worse things to be holding in my portfolio than elders just on that. But to your point, Andrew, understanding that it is going to bounce around a little bit. You know, I've actually caught myself a bit there. I've sort of said, you know, you've got to be prepared for volatility. And then you, you've rattled off some other names. And then I've thought, actually, they're all volatile, right? I think it's, it's probably something you just, do you agree, Henry? I see you, I see you moving your head there. Is that, that's just, if you're an investor, volatility is just the, the price of admission, right? Volatility is opportunity as well, remember. Um, yep. it, it just depends on, on your level of uh, risk tolerance and how much you want to sleep at night. If you, if, you, if you don't want any volatility, then put it in the bank and earn nothing. But with every risk, there comes a reward. And with every reward, there comes risk. It's, that's, that's not just shares, that's life. Yeah. Uh, I think Jackie Stewart said it best. If you wrap people in cotton wool, all they taste is cotton wool. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's such a good statement. I have to say, too, it's one of the things that really tends to distinguish the better investors from the subpar investors is it's not necessarily about super smarts, although obviously that helps, but it's that temperament, uh, which I think is just so essential. Let's not get too far down investment philosophy uh, rabbit hole there. We're halfway through the show, so let's do a quick recap. And gents, we are in furious agreement so far. Let's start with uh, Pilbara Minerals. Uh, Rob wanted to know, it was a hold from both the gents there. Some pretty positive things to say, let it be said. Uh, Andrew preferring to get some exposure there through an ETF, which we will touch on in the next hour. Um, then we move to Jupiter Mines, Manganese. This is a very profitable business. It's a very well-run business. There's good management alignment. Uh, Henry pointing out here some pretty decent yield. You're getting about a 6% yield on mine numbers here at the moment, which doesn't seem too bad. But again, there's no great urgency to buy this at this point in time. I think boring was the word that was, was thrown around. But as we've said, boring can sometimes be good. Nearmap, I desperately wanted these guys to give it a nod, but that just wasn't going to happen. Uh, making some, some points here that we've seen a little bit of insider selling and better tech opportunities elsewhere. So that was, that was a double thumbs down. We then moved to Australian agriculture uh, company, AAC being the code here. This is a business that has just struggled and it has struggled for a long, long time. 
they're also facing some um, contemporary issues with what's happening with China-Australia relations, and we all know what's going on there at the moment. A bit of cash burn just to throw on top of all of those other worries. So for good reason, those two gents were giving it a pass. And finally, Elders. Now, Elders was probably the closest we got here. We had some very favorable things to say about the business. It's absolutely had a stellar run over the last five years. It's created some immense wealth for people who had the fortitude to hold through that period. But if uh, the gents could be picky, they would prefer it closer to the $9 mark, where at the moment I believe it's around $9.80 or so. So if you've got some patience, pop that on a watch list. It is worth keeping an eye on. So what does all of that mean? Well, it means that we've got, I don't believe, uh, any changes to the portfolio that we track here at the call. And regular viewers will know that we've been doing that since the start of this financial year. Anytime our two experts give a thumbs up, a buy from both of them, we will add that into our portfolio. We will do that at the closing price of the day's trade. If there is anything but, if there's two thumbs down or even one thumbs down or even a hold, unless we get two buys, it gets kicked out of the portfolio. So let's have a quick look at how it's performed. Uh, it has moved around a little bit this week, let it be said, in terms of the returns moving in and out of posit positive territory for the week. But as we all know, lots of noise when it comes to the short term. The more meaningful performance is that longer term one. And we're getting close to a 22% return for the first half of the current financial year, which is just an incredible effort. Let's see what changes have been made. Uh, just yesterday, in fact, Scott Phillips and Mark Morland giving A2 Milk the double thumbs up. So A2 got added into the portfolio. Illumina, I think A2's been in and out a number of times actually, but it's in, it's in as of yesterday. Illumina was added, Viva Energy, CSL was just mentioned by Andrew before, a very high quality company, that's been added in, and Nuix which is a very recent listing and one that's come up a few times on this show and on Ausbiz in general, also being added to the portfolio. There are far too many changes for us to discuss here, but fortunately you can simply go to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio and you will see all of the changes that we have been making. All right, let's get into the second half of the show. Someone mentioned boring before, or maybe this one will fit the bill. Uh, Tony wants to know, Henry, I'll start with you, AGL Energy. Is this something that uh, piques your interest? Um, yes and no. I, I think boring this company is not because it basically has just been in a one-way slide into oblivion, really. There, there, <laughs> That's there were, true. There, there, were, there were times when, uh, you know, it wasn't long ago that AGL was seen as a boring utility play and uh, no, good dividend yield etc etc I think well apart from the fact the share price has done nothing but slide all year and, and probably will may even continue to do so into 2021 um, the problem with AGL is it, it did a bit of a sultra heo and it picked a bit of a fight with the government mm. over the Liddell power station now that didn't work out too well for Telstra um, and it certainly hasn't worked out too well for AGL now that's obviously not their only issue uh they have had an issue with liddell in the last few days where there was a uh, i think there was a fatality and they've had to close that down mm. uh, so that's not a good issue either but um the new south wales power supply agreement also is forcing pricing for uh for power down we've also got a summer which uh i know certainly in sydney is a bit variable to say the least 
and at the moment it's looking as we've got this uh, this wet summer in store for us which isn't going to help with spikes in electricity prices and there really is nothing to get excited about with AGL except the fact that it has been such a dog and it has plummeted it's basically halved this year so part of me is 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 looking at this as a kind of a rebound situation and the other half of me says you know what let's just wait until uh, we do see some evidence of that rebound and I think that's the half that's winning at the moment and although we've seen the odd false dawn in this one the trend is still your friend and the trend is still down um, although it does have a potential for short sharp bounces from time to time I would just wait uh, if I was looking at this one to see some evidence that uh, things are turning around and at the moment that doesn't seem to be the case as I say pricing pressures from New South Wales and elsewhere. We've also got um, brokers downgrading their expectations, which is not the end of the world because brokers are playing catch up. But in this new world of uh, energy and renewables and this push mm. to green energy and gas rather than coal, I think there's a lot of headwinds for this one. So for me, it's an avoid for the time being. Yeah, uh, Andrew Henry's making some good points there. Can you perhaps see some positivity just on the on the valuation front? I'm just having a quick look at my screen. Maybe these numbers are not correct, but I'm seeing a yield of eight percent and a PE of nine. Or is this just like picking pennies up in front of a steamroller? Well, catching the falling knife or any other share market cliche that you can pull out on the twenty third of December. Um, Yes, uh, the short answer is no. Um, I mean, I'm looking at forecast earnings downgrades, as Henry was just talking about, uh, 39% drop next year and then a further 27% drop. So, you know, you're talking about a PE, I'm looking at numbers of, say, eight. This year blows out to 12 next year, 2021, and then out to 17 times 2022. Mm, mm. So if to answer your question on valuation, no. Mm. Um, if I'm trying to find a positive, the CEO has increased uh, their holding by 20% over the last 12 months. That's okay. good. I like that. You know, like they're sort of putting their money where their mouth is. Um, but share price over the last five years, I mean, as we just spoke about, and you can see there on the screen, you know, down 30, 40%. But over the last five years, it's up 2% per annum. So you may as well have just stuck your money in a term deposit. That's when you could get 2% on a term deposit. Um, and not taken any of the risk. Whereas if you bought the market, you would have got 10% per annum over that same period of time. So uh, that Liddell situation was terrible, obviously not only relating to that fatality, but also the no insurance. So I have to sort of say to myself, what is going on there? Like what was management doing or how, why was that asset not insured? Um, it's out of action until March. So, look, lots, lots of reasons not to be buying it. Probably the last one is I'm pretty sure this is their first profit downgrade. And if that's the case, then statistically there's a two-thirds chance there'll be another one in the next 90 days. So, uh, selfishly, I think about 10 bucks is the mark. If I could buy them at $10, I'd be pretty interested. No interest at 13 Yeah, okay. Some very, well... No, I don't think we, we had one positive thing to say there, unfortunately, Tony. So AGL is a double thumbs down. Let's see if we can do better with Volpera, Volpara, I should say. Uh, this is a tech company, I believe, based in New Zealand, all about uh, breast imaging technology. And Ray wants to know, Andrew, is this one that you'd buy? Ray? It's a winner. That's like a thumbs it. up. It's a thumbs up. Here we go. No pressure, Henry. No pressure. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, look, I uh, I really like this business. Um, it's uh, as you said, it's breast imaging technology, and I certainly don't fully profess to understand the the physics behind it as such. But in essence, it's measuring Brent's breast density. So in other words, uh, for some of these uh, cancers and so forth that may not actually be picked up under normal screening using that uh, Microsoft Azure software as a background, they're actually been able to detect uh, cancers uh, that were being missed before. They've got about 27% of US market share. And in fact, a number of the insurers in the US are now basically sort of pointing uh, their um, clients. So in other words, these clinics basically saying, if you're using the older technology you're putting us at risk, you need to be embracing this newer technology. Uh, they recently, as in, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, signed a deal with Breast Screen Queensland, which is huge, of course. Mm. Um, they delivered about 30 million images last year. Uh, and probably the key thing in this business, when they first started, it was just sort of almost like buy it off the shelf. And they very quickly figured out that they needed to shift or pivot to a annuity style business. So um, their margins are great. Um, I really like this business and I'd be happily buying it. Yeah, I think it's got a lot of interesting things about it too. Although in the interest of balance, Henry, I guess, Bears might point out that uh, it's not a very lofty multiple. It's burning through a bunch of cash. Sales did on a per share basis, I think roughly double last year. So does that does that put any wrinkles into it? Um, I don't know about wrinkles. Um, it's it's one I have in the small cap portfolio, and frankly, um, it's somewhat disappointing. It has been trending sideways uh, for some time. It actually, when you look at that uh, that chart, it looks a bit like that movie with uh, Kiefer Sutherland in with, um, what was it, uh, Flatliners. Flatliners. Because it, ha it has been going pretty much nowhere. I'm not sure whether that's because it's a, a New Zealand stock and not got the coverage or not got the, uh, the sort of broker following that uh, some of the other stocks have in this space. You look at a stock like EMV, which is uh, doing sort of, it's like a motorbike helmet for stroke victims in some respects. It's a mobile unit that can, um, that can analyze stroke victims and that's gone absolutely nuts and they're a long way from any revenue at all this one I, I still like it it's sort of next gen breast scanning so i think that's good but it's just it's been underwhelming i think is the answer it, mm. it, it when you look at the chart it does rely on on timing to uh, to maximize any kind of opportunities there but it just has been in this range between sort of 130 and 150 uh for um for a considerable amount of time uh, it would be nice if it would break out of that. The, the news from Queensland was obviously good with that five-year agreement with Breast Screen Queensland. Um, it did move the dial a little bit, but it still looks like Kiefer Sullivan's in charge of that one, and it needs the AED and the paddles and someone to st say stand clear hmm. uh, because at the moment this one just looks... Um, a, it's a hold because I like the underlying technology and I like where they're going, but it would just be nice to see a bit more coverage, a bit more... Um, interest in this one, which seems to be a bit forgotten in this um, in this space, let's say. Okay, Ray. Well, there we go. We got very close to a buy there, but not quite the case. Let's switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk clean space. I haven't heard of this one before, Henry, but Peter wants to know. The ticker here is CSX. Um, the reason you haven't heard of it, Andrew, is probably because it's quite a recent uh, listing. It's an IPO. Uh they do um they do systems for respiratory masks and and 
cleaning, filtration, that sort of thing for hospitals and other workplaces, including uh, you know stuff that protects your eyes, protects water. Um, they've just come out recently with a trading update, which is pretty good. Um, but I tend to think with these IPOs, that especially when we've seen such a, a, a frenzy in the IPO space this year, that it would be probably optimal for investors just to look at this um, and be a bit more patient, I guess, and just wait till things settle down. Uh, it has been a bit of a uh, volatile ride from its issue price, which was, uh, I think, uh, considerably lower than where it is now. So it's done pretty well. Uh, it does look as if it's a business that's been uh, well managed. But I think for me, it's just one that I'd like to watch it settle down a little bit more, get a bit more of a track record as a public company. Sometimes the leap from uh, a private company to a public company is, uh, is, a, is quite a bridge. It's quite a bridge too far sometimes for some companies that, that make some mistakes. So I just think this one for me is one to be patient in and just keep an eye on, keep on your watch list. Good, good technology, but obviously uh, it has got a bit of a gearing towards uh, COVID that we're seeing at the moment. So maybe that's why it had such a big leap at the beginning. But it's been around a long time and they've got a diverse range of products. So um, good business, good stock, but maybe just keep an eye on it rather than jump in at this time. Henry, I can't resist but do a very quick segue here because you said something that was really fascinating about companies making this transition from private to public. I 100% agree with you. Very quickly, what do you think the reason for that is? Do you think there's too much pressure from the analysts and does the focus get shifted away from the business or onto the share price or, or what's at play there? Well, it, it's, it's just, I guess, a part of growing pains for a company. There is a well-known arbitrage. When you go from a private company to a public company, you get a big uplift because the market does place a greater value on publicly listed companies than private companies. And that is a great, great thing for founders and original shareholders. They get a big uplift in valuation, of course, on their, their shareholding. The problem is that also... It come, with, great, uh, with great valuation uplift comes great responsibility as well. And hmm. sometimes that leap in terms of corporate governance, in terms of management, in terms of what you have to report to the ASX is a hard one. If you've been running a company as a private entity for, say, 15 years, you're used to running it in a certain way. You're used to not having to report things or, or employ IR people or PR people to put out announcements. And so hmm. that transition, when you become public, there are a number of companies, and we see it a lot, uh, you know, they miss an ASX announcement or the corporate governance isn't quite up to, a, yeah. to scratch or, or the, you know, it just life is under a lot more scrutiny in the public eye. That's why we put that valuation multiple on public companies and not the, so much in private companies. So it does come with responsibility and some companies fail. And uh, that's, that's a fact of life. And we see, you know, even stocks like, uh, you know, I'm going to think of a high profile one. I signed this, which has been in suspense for a long time and uh, in dispute with the ASX, not because of uh, the way the business is. It's the way the governance of the company is and the way the, the shareholders have been um, treated and the management has been treated. So, um, you know, that's mm -hmm. always before, that's before the court. So it is a leap. You've just got to be careful of that. Yeah. Okay. A, a very interesting indeed. Andrew, back to clean space. Is it something that uh, you'd be interested in or like Henry, is it too early for you? Oh, I think, um, as we've said a couple of times now, Henry's a friend of mine, but I think he's absolutely nailed it relating to that transition from private to public. 
and all the challenges that come with that. And if I'm the underwriter, if I'm the broker that's brought the company to the exchange, I'm going to, with due respect, have a couple of decent announcements up my sleeve or encourage the company to have a couple of positive announcements up their sleeve so that when they come on, there's that initial frenzy and then there's sort of the one month or two months later, a couple of positive announcements just to keep that momentum going. So if I was to be buying, I'd probably wait till sort of February, March, see what the the, the half year result looks like, a uh, bit of time for it to sort of uh, been on the market as such. So I think there's some really salient points there from Henry. I mean, the business itself looks pretty good, 79% margin. I'm mindful that 77% of their revenue comes from healthcare mm. and uh Obviously, you know, 2020 has been the year to remember or forget, dependent upon your perspective. And uh, if there's a vaccine, is there going to be such a need for ongoing PPE? I mean, obviously, it's critical at the moment. Uh, but will there be such a need in, say, 12 months time when, as I said before, come September? Hopefully, you know, we've certainly have all got our jabs or on the way to being in that state. So... I like the business, but I'd like to at least get through February, March, and even then I'd probably be just a little bit cautious given those headwinds that mm -hmm. they're facing. Okay. I'm going to stay with you, Andrew, and we're going to talk Hub24. H-U-B, Kate wants to know, buy, sell, or hold? Um, it's a hold. We uh, Look, I don't mind Hub. We use Premium here. There's three main platform. They're, they're a platform. So if you're a, an advisor, and uh, you can either have clients having shares on Chess, which is the stock exchange way of holding shares, or you can have them on a platform. Uh, we've still got a number of clients on Chess, but we're certainly having a bit of an uptake relating to use of platforms, evaluating the three net wealth Hub24 Premium. We went with Premium. PPS is the code for Premium. NWL for net worth. They're all very good. Um, if you have a look, Hub24 have got now $19 billion worth of assets under management. They're targeting to get that up to between 28 and $32 billion by June 2022. And because of post the Royal Commission and Hain and all that sort of stuff, there's a lot of advisors leaving banks and becoming quote unquote independent. We could have a whole talk about what independence mm -hmm. means. But uh, it's certainly really these type of platforms a sticky business. You know, once clients are in there, they're getting a great service. They're getting uh, lots of good features but they're not tied to their favorite bank. It's actually an independent platform. So uh, they recently did a share purchase plan uh, for $80 million at $20. So that might be weighing on the share price as well. But uh, I quite like it. But, you know, PE of 74 times, even though the earnings are forecast to grow by 60% next year, it's probably just a little bit overpriced. So for the time being, I'm a hold. But I like the business and I like the thematic. The thematic is strong. Okay, Henry, just mindful with not too long left on show. Any brief thoughts on Hub24? Um, yeah, I agree with Andrew a, a lot on Hub24. It's a great platform. It's one of the, the, the big sort of emerging platforms that has started to dominate. The thing that concerns me, apart from the fact the share price has been going nowhere recently, uh, is that they are making a number of acquisitions uh, that has been in shares as well, so that does dilute things a little bit and does put a little bit of pressure on the stock. It's not exactly cheap, so they're using uh, their, their shares as currency to buy stuff, which uh, is sensible for them, but maybe mm. not quite so sensible for shareholders. And, and with all these things, it takes a little while to bed things down. So for me, it, it's a hold at the moment. Good quality management, great stock, lots of money under management, 19 billion in funds under management and growing strongly. But acquisitions 
do take a little time to settle down. You've got to get those synergies and you've also got to uh, make sure that you placate all the egos that are in the company that you're taking over and make sure that yeah. uh, people don't go off and do silly things or uh, sell shares, etc. So uh, for me, it's a hold at the moment. That that's, um, But it's, a, it's one of the, the great platform stocks that has emerged in uh, 2020 and, and from, uh, from the Hain Royal Commission. Well, it's definitely had a good run recently. So, Kate, there you go. Some perspectives to digest there, which brings us to the last stock of the show. And this is an interesting one. Henry, I'm going to stick, stick with you here. Samir wants to know about Electro Optic Systems, EOS. I am the expert on this stock. Um, I've written two articles for Livewire on this, so I became the de, de facto expert on this stock. Uh, military uh, sighting, laser sighting, etc. military hardware. They came out with a trading update a couple of days ago, which wasn't particularly good, cited the Australian dollar strength, not particularly helpful for them. And also the fact that COVID is really stuffing around their supply chains and their customer orders being delayed and postponed because of COVID. I think this is a hold, but it is volatile. It is a very volatile stock. Um, it does bounce around. And uh, it's probably, it's a sideways movement at the moment, I think, till we get more clarification. But if the Aussie dollar was to go to 80 cents, as uh, many have predicted, that would certainly be a negative. And they have cited the fact that they sometimes do hedge the dollar exposure. But because of the timing issues involved with COVID, they haven't been able to pin down a hedge because you can't time when your orders are going to go through. So I think there's some question marks, but nonetheless, great, uh, great technology. Uh, the Australian government is due to uh, announce at some stage some some large contracts, no doubt. But uh, I think for me, it's a hold at the moment. That's for sure. What do you think, Andrew? Just uh, briefly. I acquiesce to the expert. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, look, probably the only other thing is that they're a beneficiary of increased defence spending around the world. But mm -hmm. I'm a hold as well. Okay. Well, there we go, gents. Uh, let me do a quick recap and I'll fill the viewers in on some changes we're making to the portfolio as a result of today's show. We started with AGL and virtually nothing positive to say. Uh, Henry may be saying, look, wait, uh, wait for signs of a, a turnaround. Andrew saying maybe if you get it cheap enough, but that's about it. Velpara uh, Health Technology, some really strong growth there. Uh, Andrew likes it. He sees big things to come for them. Uh, Henry wasn't a mile away, but for him, he's wanting a bit of a better price. So that was a hold from Henry. Clean Space, uh, interesting technology, um, but very, very early days. It's had a very big jump on listing. Um, we had an interesting chat too about some of the struggles companies make in that transition from private to public. So on that basis, both gents weren't prepared to throw any money that direction. Hub24, uh, also a very interesting company here. It's one of the great platform companies uh, on the ASX. Uh, assets under management been growing very strongly there, but you are paying a PE of 74 for this business, notwithstanding the fact that the top line or per share earnings, I should say, expected to grow by about 60%, but both gents wanting a bit more of a bargain there. And finally, Electro Optic Systems, um, maybe do a quick Google for Livewire and Henry Jennings and you'll find some, some good insights there. A lot of nice things to say here at the moment, but at the moment it wasn't uh, interesting enough to buy. So what does that mean? I talked about the core portfolio before, as you know, it's done extremely well. There are two changes as a result of today's show. Elders was in the portfolio. It should be mentioned that both of our guests today had a lot of positive things to say. They just wanted a better price, but it wasn't a buy. 
So it's gone. It's going to get, get the flick this afternoon at today's closing price. And very similar to with electro optical systems, which was also in the portfolio. Both of our experts had some good things to say, but it wasn't a buy, so it is out as well. Gents, thank you very much for your time today. And also, let it be said, for your contribution over 2020. The hat is back on. Henry's in the, the in a festive spirit. Mate, we hope things get better on the northern beaches for you and, uh, and have a happy Christmas. And Andrew, thank you also for, for your great insights today. But I'll be chatting to you in just a moment uh, as we get the pulse underway after 1 p.m. But that's it. And uh, listen, remember, you can always flick us an email, send us a tweet, and it gives us something to talk about. We want to talk about the stocks that interest you. So just send us an email at thecall at ausbiz.com.au. Or if you prefer, Twitter is just as good at TV. And remember, you can also head to our website to check out that portfolio and what changes we have been making. But until tomorrow, the last show before Christmas, I'm Andrew Page. Thank you very much for your time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.